season. It's June 20th. It's Tuesday, 2017. Hi, Matt. Hi, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's the Soybean Pest Podcast. We're, we're weekly now. We have been for three weeks. We have been, but uh, you're going to go on vacation, and that's going to make everything crumble apart. So don't worry about that while you're gone. Can I phone in? Maybe. We'll try. It's hard to have a podcast with one person. Oh, come on. Mm. You know, especially, especially if it's me. You have so many gifts. You have so much to share. I can't. It's hard to have a conversation with yourself sometimes. (laughs) Sometimes. Sometimes. I have them all the time. Yeah. (laughs) Especially (laughs) when I'm doing some kind of like work around the house. Just talk to yourself. Um, I can see you doing that. Yeah, and some prayer. Oh. Some very aggressive forms of prayer. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Yeah. Which is why my wife says, you're not handy. I'm like, yeah, I I just get angry and I do things. Mm. Especially when the, uh, anyway, never mind, let it go. Um, So we have uh, have, uh, uh, several things to talk about. You brought up the the first one. I'm going on, did you say vacay, vacation? Yeah. Uh, A lot of prep to get to the vacation and then the aftermath and when you come back, so... Are you trying to make me feel better? No, I, I'm just that saying. that sounded like a lot of work. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of work to have all that family fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I think the goal this time isn't fun so much as reunion. Oh. See family we haven't seen in a while. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, they're, they're family. They'll be fine. We're sure. Gonna, you know, go to the beach, hang out. The water's going to be cold, though. But anyway, there'll mm-hmm. be sand there. If I liked fishing, I could fish. Don't like fishing. Um, but we have other things to talk about. Uh, we got an aphid update. You're noting a new European Corn Board publication. And second time in a row, we're going to have a fit. Nice. Fun insect trivia. <coughs> Can't wait to have oh. a fit. All right. So let's start with the aphid update. Okay. There's a lot to talk about. Sure. What's up in your area? What have you been hearing, seeing? Uh, I've been hearing that um, 2017 looks a lot like uh, 07, 05, in that uh, people who are reporting their initial scouts uh, of soybean fields are seeing, um, you know, for right now, they're not large populations, but they're on track to be like um, what we've seen in years where we've had an outbreak. Mm-hmm. Is that what you're hearing? Um, well, I've just been hearing that people are finding aphids sooner, and not just on one plant, but a handful of plants um, from not only our lab, but a few of the field agronomists. You know, they've been finding aphids, mm-hmm. and, and and they're just a little bit surprised on, uh, you know, how many they've been seeing. And okay. so uh, the questions about, you know, when could we possibly be treating, that kind of thing, when would we need to, when do we start recommending this to our clients, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, so the, some interesting biology is occurring. I think one is that, um, correct me if I'm wrong on this, Brian Lang said something like 50% of the plants that he saw had aphids in, on them. In one field. In one field, yeah. yeah. But 50% yeah. is a lot. You know? It's half. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's every other plant has an aphid. That's pretty incredible. That's that, that'd be a tremendous batting average. That, and, and I don't think that's a function of, Brian looking really, really hard. Uh, I think it's just a reality that that field has a lot of aphids. 
Now, you're right, it's one field. Um, it's, well, what does it mean? Uh, except that this early, that's, that's impressive. I mean, the odds of treating that field this summer is probably pretty high. And it's not, you know, it's not yet July. So right. that that field would likely need a earlier than usual application. Mm -hmm. Probably early if the farmer was scheduling a spray anyway, just on a preventative, say, prophylactic approach to managing insect pests in general. It may come too late, given sort of how they time those sprays right. for July. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, that's I think biologically that's interesting. The other thing that was interesting that Brian reported, and I'm hearing this from Minnesota, is that. Um, they're seeing mummified aphids. Brian said it was the first time he's seen one this early yeah. in June. Um, we've seen aphids that have been attacked by parasitoids, uh, in the, and then they show up as mummies uh, in August, occasionally in July, but June is pretty early. And that's, that's interesting to me because it suggests that they have a population of the parasitoids that have established and are attacking the, the aphids um, sooner than what we've seen in the past, which means they're out, they're active, um, they're not just sort of tracking aphids as they migrate into an area, you know, they're not migrating with the aphids. Yeah, that they've been able to overwinter successfully. That's it. Uh, that's, yeah. that'd be huge. And, and if you correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, but that's typically what happens in its native range in, yes. in Asia, isn't it? Is yes. that the parasitoids yeah. track very low densities of, of aphids yeah. and they never allow them to build up to like outbreak numbers. And so the parasitoids really do a good job of keeping those numbers way down. Yeah, they're much okay. more responsive than yeah. predators like mm -hmm. the lady beetles mm -hmm. and able to find very small patches, very low numbers. Um, and then take advantage of them. Whereas yeah. a predator needs a lot of aphids to, you know, consume in order to, you know, persist to live, but then also to invest some eggs to, you know, have another generation. Whereas parasitoids, they just need one. Mm -hmm. They lay one egg inside an aphid, and boom, they've got a, a baby. One wasp to one aphid. One one. Yeah. So um, this, you know, is hopeful because it suggests that maybe our community of natural enemies has expanded in at least that part of Iowa and, and, and in Minnesota to include this more lethal, question mark there, yeah, yeah, I think it's fair to say, more lethal, more sensitive natural enemy that can attack the aphid. Now, is it going to prevent outbreaks? Don't know. It's going to be really interesting uh, yeah. in the next couple of weeks to see if this trend that looks like an outbreak year actually becomes an outbreak year and how much was the parasitoid responsible for keeping that down? Because I could imagine the only real chance for predators and parasitoids to, to maybe suppress an outbreak or minimize an outbreak is to be there right away in June when populations are small. I mean, I, it'd be hard for a predator or, or a wasp to come in mid-July when you already have yeah, you know, so they got to yeah. come in early. Yeah. if, if, if they're all work. the plants had aphids, and even if they were a small number, say ten per plant, that's a lot for mm -hmm. a few lady beetles or whatever to control. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can prevent that population from spreading to that point, you're you're on your way to I think control. 
Yeah, and, and also something to think about is that farmers can't have it both ways. I mean, they can't have the natural control or biological control and still use insecticides. And so it, is, it will be interesting to see those folks who maybe have uh, parasitoids or predators decide not to spray. You know, will that be enough to control aphids versus those that are on that prophylactic kind of cycle? It's going to be interesting summer. Yeah, yeah, that's fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hate, I hate to say that to a farmer because that means um, they're going to have to do a little bit more work. They're going to have to scout, and they may have to make some tough decisions. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting in the sense that we could see results that that suggest very good things, mm-hmm. like we're seeing changes such that the aphid may not be uh, a past going forward. But yeah. we'll don't know. We don't know. The, I could see the situation of the no spray happening for those farmers who are organic, or maybe they're just looking to reduce pesticides because of reasons X, Y, Z. Maybe they would just want to reduce their input costs. But um, those farmers who are using host plant resistance might see a real benefit to doing that this year, choosing that seed selection. Um, farmers who, who purchased an aphid-resistant variety yeah. may see a benefit. May aphid. see a huge benefit this year. Like if they are organic yeah. or choose not to use insecticides, yeah. um, may see, a, I mean, I, I can't imagine, like in a true outbreak situation, we'll see some drastic yield differences. And it could be, especially if these populations are occurring early, that growers who use the seed treatment will also see some benefit. Yeah, that's that's true. No, it, it's, they're not out of the woods because that seed treatment's eventually going to uh, you know, go away um, in terms of its ability to kill aphids, but it may delay an outbreak such that, you know, farmer has some more time. Mm-hmm, yep. Um, yeah, so it's going to be an interesting year. I agree mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Anything else about soybean aphids that you've heard? Um, no. Those are the, I mean, just people are finding them and finding them more south, more southern counties in Iowa, mm. and just finding, like you talked about, just more. Smacking my lips. Yeah. When you said for the south. How far south? Well, here, like Story, Story, Story yeah. County. I mean, but nothing below I 80. Nope. I haven't heard of anything in those counties yet, but yeah. Should we tell our listener to wake up? We're going to move on to another topic. We're moving on. All right. So. Mm-hmm. I'm going to snap my fingers and we're on to topic number two, new European corn borer publication. Yeah. What's that? Um, that's corn. That's corn. So I didn't know if <clears throat> I didn't know if I should bring it up or not because it's a soybean pest podcast. But I'm excited to talk about a new publication that I uh, finished. I worked with Dr. Marlon Rice. He's a, a former faculty member. Yeah. He, I mean, he's the man when it, you know, when it comes to corn pests. He was my predecessor. But um we worked on a new 12-page publication for European corn borer, and some of you may be like, why are you talking about European corn borer? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a pest of the past. But there are uh, some farmers who are interested in reducing some input costs, and seed is one of those very expensive input costs. Cut back on the tech feed, don't yep. buy the BT variety yeah. that is resistant to corn borer. And what do you think of that? And some people have been um, surprised by the amount of corn borers in the landscape. Even though they haven't seen corn borer affect their corn or they haven't seen numbers, you know, moths flying around, they think, oh, the sucker's gone. We took care of it. We took care of that. Huh? Yeah. Not so. Not so. And and so 
for those farmers who have been using BT, I mean, maybe for 20 plus years and seeing very good control or people that are new to farming and haven't really experienced the devastation of corn borer, I, I thought this publication would be nice to not only talk about how to identify it, here's the life cycle, and this is, if you choose not to use BT, this is a how you scout and treat because you probably, you're definitely going to have to scout and you might have to treat in order to protect yield. It's a particularly devastating pest. It's a pain to, to oh, treat gosh. for, right? It's a because very it small window. gets into the stalk and, and it's almost protected by the corn plant. Yeah, it is. The insecticide application. Yeah, so you're scouting for eggs, you're scouting for first instars or the newly hatched larvae. That's your small window to take some action. Once it gets inside the, the plant, you, there are no rescue treatments. And so um, right right now I have hard copies of this publication, but it soon will be online. And so I just want to let people know if you're super interested and you like something, uh, like a copy, I can get that to you if you're just wondering. It's not necessarily new information. I'm not doing research on corn borers, but I've collected resources from all over the place and put it together in one publication. And what's maybe different about this one, because if you go online, you're going to find a number of yeah. these kinds of things, right. is Marlon and I put a couple of worksheets so that it's going to tell you when to scout, and, and the treatment decisions are based on things like pest density, control costs, market value, so it's kind of yeah. a dynamic threshold. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's good. Uh, you know, kind of summarizing a bunch of information that in one place so that somebody, like you said, who's new to this um, yeah. or hasn't had to think about it, uh, for a long time can get yeah. it all together. Yeah. That's great. Yep. Um, yeah, I was talking with a farmer uh, who was watching a soccer game uh, with me, and um, his son was playing, and I was uh, sitting on the sideline, and he said, hey, is there any truth to these companies flying around dropping corn bores uh, in cornfields? What? Yeah, yeah, it was really interesting, and, and a little bit of a joke, you know, because I think he realized, yeah, it's kind of silly, but... Uh, you know, the thought was that, like you just described how, you know, farmers were using BT for years, and those who knew what life was like before BT, said, yeah, we saw corn borers everywhere, started using BT, out of gone. Yeah. And now when I use a non-BT, it mysteriously shows up, well, somebody's flying around, you know, dropping this and that. And he, he kind of gave me a little wink, and I was yeah. like, he's like, yeah. Hey, they can do that, right? And I was like, I don't think they can legally, because uh, it's it's a pest. It's an invasive pest. You're not allowed to, you know, transport these things across uh, uh, state lines. But also, uh, the chance of that of somebody getting caught, I mean, that's that's crazy. Uh, I mean, this is uh, absolutely ridiculous. But um, but it was it, but it, the the joke was it is so remarkable to go from. Mm -hmm what looks like it's locally extinct to, oh my God, it's here, mm -hmm. that, you know, that you, your brain starts spinning and, and coming up with crazy explanations. Yeah, and... Of which, that is totally crazy. The only thing I would say is that corn borers feed on a lot of different things, not just corn. And so, if you ask yeah. the corn guys over the USDA, USDA lab, they can sweep any grassy ditch or waterway mm -hmm. in mm -hmm. June and July and find adults. So... Um, they're there, they're just at dramatically lower levels. So, and they do well on corn, very well. And they can, they're, they're happy in these other little places. So. Yeah, I mean, they need those other places for mating and resting, so they're, they're constantly moving right. all over the place. That's cool, mm -hmm. all right. Mm -hmm. Check that off the list. Matt, do you have a fit for us? A fit, 
We need like some fit music. Fun. Yes. Bum, ba, ba. Insect. Trivia. <laughs> um, all right. So this one, um, this is interesting. It was inspired by a couple of recent articles that were written about our work. Um, we had a, um, a, a grant funded through the USDA to do some work on honeybees and honeybee conservation uh, in crop fields, specifically soybeans. We, I think we've talked about this before. Anyway, uh, uh, an article ran through the university relations. They did a little, uh, what do they call that? A press, press release. release. Yeah. Yeah. And other places have picked this up. Our postdoc, Adam Dolezal, got interviewed by the Ames Tribune and um, I noticed something in the articles, some inconsistency mm-hmm. in how they wrote the word honeybee. <sighs> and um, it got me thinking, and I, I said this, I think I said this to you, I know I said it to Adam, I was like, what's the proper way to do this? And I, I, have, I have an answer, uh, but it turns out that a lot of people have answers. Mm-hmm. So what is the correct way to write the word honeybee? In the U.S., it's two words. If you're anywhere else, it's generally one, right? So this is interesting. I I thought it was that, and but I'm trained as an etymologist, and I understand it to be honey, one word, bee, second word. But the newspapers were writing honeybee as one word repeatedly. Mm-hmm. And then I did this thing. I was like, well, what's commonly accepted? Because I think I'm right. So go on Google. Go on the Googles and mm-hmm. type in honeybee, one word, and then honeybee, two words. And honeybee, one word, has like 30 million hits, whereas honeybee, two words, is like 23 million. So I'm like, oh, well, maybe there are 7 million out there that are just wrong. Or maybe it's not as clear as I thought. So uh, I googled, um, is it honeybee or honeybee? And there were a couple of things that came up, and uh, several places have uh, commented on this. There was one quote from a book, uh, 1971, The Bee Language Controversy, The Experience in Science. And the author says, My spelling of honeybee, two words, follows the tradition in entomology. That is, if an insect really is what we know it to be, we use two words, honeybee, hover, fly, rogue beetle. Okay? By contrast, on the flip side, if an insect falls outside what we consider common sense, butterfly, dragonfly, those are all one word, we reflect the situation using only one word. The dragonfly is neither a dragon nor a real fly. And I was like, oh, well, that's that's cool, all right, that, I'm, I'm right, you know, mm-hmm. we're right. Um, and, but that was written by an entomologist, or at least a biologist. Robert Snodgrass, you know Snodgrass? Course. Every entomologist knows Snodgrass. He wrote The Anatomy of a Honeybee. Mm-hmm. Detailed, greatly detailed drawings of the internal morphology of honeybees, as well as some other insects. And he notes in his book, regardless of dictionaries, that's going to come back, but regardless mm-hmm. of dictionaries, we have an etymology, a rule for insect common names that can be followed. It says, if the insect is what the name implies, write the two words separately. Otherwise, run them together. Thus, we have housefly, blowfly, robberfly, all one all two words, dragonfly, caddisfly, butterfly, because ladders are not flies. Just as an aphis lion is not a lion and a silverfish is not a fish. The honeybee is an insect and is preeminently a bee. And this is my favorite part of the quote. Honeybee, all one word, 
is equivalent to John Smith all over it. You wouldn't say that, right? Mm -hmm. So, in that quote, he says, regardless of the dictionaries. All right, so then I was like, uh-oh, uh-oh. Dictionary not our friend. Merriam-Webster. Definition for honeybee. Honey-producing bee, genus Apis, of the family Apidae, especially a European bee. Apis mellifera, introduced worldwide and kept in highest for the honey it produces. Sounds like a honeybee, right? From the Guess how they spell it in the dictionary. One word. All one word. I get critiqued all the time if I write anything for extension. Um, and things like stink bug, dragonfly, honeybee, they always refer to the dictionary. And ah. I say, we have, ah. uh, you know, our, our society has a list of, of common approved yeah. names. And yeah. That's what I go by. Two-spotted spider mate. Two-spotted is one word. And our society is the Entomological Society of America. Mm -hmm. And they have uh, a, a division of the society that issues acceptable common names. But if you're a communications person, yeah. they refer to the, that dictionary, dictionary. As, the, as the final word. And it drives me batty. Yeah. I think this is why most entomologists have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. Because just trust us. We know what we're talking about. Yeah. We have reasons. I mean, those are yeah. Well thought out reasons mm -hmm. for why two words versus one word. Yeah. It makes sense to me. It makes total sense. You know, we, how can we change the world, Matt? Well, we you know, I called Merriam-Webster and told them and I you know, I gave them a chance to respond and and they didn't because mm -hmm. I don't actually know Miriam Webster's phone number. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very fit piece of trivia. Oh, thank you. I like that one a lot. Yeah, that was interesting. Well, I don't know if I answered I mean, there's an answer, but it's somewhat unresolved, whether it's honeybee or honeybee. Although, I, you know, in my book, it's two words. And I'm sticking to it. All right, let's do that. All right, anything else we need to talk about? Any upcoming events? Oh, this weekend, June 24th, is Pollinator Fest yep. at Ryman Gardens yep. for free. For free. Yeah. Um, thanks to the thoughtful contribution of an anonymous donor who wants to support outreach and extension related to bee conservation here at Iowa State University. Thank you, anonymous donor. And uh, that's from 10 to 2. Yep. So many things going on. Honey tasting, observation hives, information on how to conserve bees and have all your honeybee and just general bee questions answered. Yeah. Bring the kids. It'll be a good time. I hope you bring the kids. Yeah. Uh, and bring non-kids. There's some great stuff at the Ryman Gardens right now. Have you seen the Wash to Shore? Stuff? No, I haven't been there yet this year. Are you year. going? Are you going this weekend? Yep, I'm working. Take a look. <laughs> Every Saturday this month. Oh, oh wait. Okay. Oh. Hashtag yeah, extension life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You know what you need? A vacay. Yeah, I do. Hashtag callback. Hashtag wrap up. Hashtag where to find us. Google soybean entomology. Twitter at Aaron W. Hodson. All one word. She's sending out the tweets. You can email us, you one listener. O'Neill at iestate.edu. That's spelled like Shaquille. And EWH at iestate.edu. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcast. And when you subscribe, you don't have to pay nothing. We it's, don't charge. It's like the um, it's like the Pollinator Fest this weekend. It's free. It's totally free. And cut out for music. Okay. See you, Aaron. See you in a couple weeks, yep. Matt. <laughs>